Thank you. Thank you very much. Since many of you don't know me, I thought I'd do the thumbnail sketch of the Stan Klaus life. <clears throat> it's only going to take me about five hours. No, no, I won't, I won't do that. Seriously, my life um, has been divided to this point in about three phases. The first phase, I grew up in a Pentecostal preacher's house, um, did all the things that are normal for a church kid. By the time I was 15 or 16, had little use for the church at all. And uh, stayed that way until I was uh, just after my 19th birthday. And then one night when I was minding my own sinful business, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Lord showed up in my room. And uh, I've never been the same. I, I, I mean, sometimes I, I, but people say, well, have you, I don't know too many people that have met him. I'm like, I did. That's it. And I spent the next 20 years of my life or so going to school, preparing for ministry, being in ministry, doing the pastoral thing, doing whatever. And toward the end of that, God sent a messenger who told me I was going to go into the wilderness and I was going to go through a period of reconstruction. And at that same time, I was given other things that were, were, were going to happen that weren't going to be particularly good. And that's where I've been for about 20 years. And some time back, uh, my wife dragged me to this church. Uh, she was here for a women's conference, I think, in 2015. And I met a man who had a vision that I could serve. And that's where we are, and that's what we're here for. So turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 17. I need my glasses to see you, and I need them off to see this, so I don't know what we'll do. I'll probably put them on and take them off four or five times. <clears throat> in John chapter 17, we find some of the very last words of Jesus. He's going through that last period of his life where the cross is imminent. He knows he's going to die. The things that he's praying to the Father are the deepest things in his heart, the things that nobody if you've ever been around death, it's called a final review. And if you go in and visit people that are dying, you'll find out that they want to talk to you about certain things. And those certain things are the very core issues of their heart. If it's one of your relatives, if it's your dad or a mom, it's like, I want you, do you forgive me for this? Do you know, I mean, whatever I did, you know, are we good? Are we okay? Because, you know, I'm going to die. And, and there's this whole thing where these people come down and they become very focused on what's important. And so right here, in John chapter 17, we find Jesus in that, in that very frame of mind. And in verse 20, he stops talking about the things that he was talking about. He was doing a review of his life. And he turns to the Father and says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you and I ask that you would enable me to speak that which you put on my heart for this church, that you give us all ears to hear your spirit in your name. Amen. You know, as we face the next 
period in evolution in our church, everything's going to change. You're not going to be in these seats anymore. You're not going to be in all this. And at that time, there's a tremendous opportunity for the enemy to come in and to try and derail what God has going on. And so in this very middle, Jesus said, look it. These people have to be one, Father, so that the world will know that you sent me. And there's a tremendous power in unity that we don't get very often. We think of it as something nice, you know, kumbaya, back in my day, uh, kumbaya, you know, and we go sit on the beach and, you know, do all the things that you do and life is good. That's not the kind of unity that he's talking about here. He's talking about being one in purpose, one in heart one in mind. This kind of unity commands the blessing of God. Psalms 133, verses 1 and following, says that, Behold how good and... It doesn't really say that. It says, But anyway, it says... Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And he goes on, and, he, and, and at the end of the chapter, he says, Like precious oil upon the head, running down upon the beard, the beard of Aaron running down the edge of his garments. goes on and on and on. And, says, and the last phrase says, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. In unity, there is a commanded blessing. It is commanded blessing. If we can begin to get a hold of that and get a hold of some of the next principles that God will give us out of his word, we can enter into a time of commanded blessing and protection and shelter. On the other hand, if the devil can do his job, in James 3.16 it says, For where envy and strife are, there is confusion in every evil work. And that's why he works so hard overtime. You get a bunch of people squabbling, and you might as well just open the doors wide and invite demons in. Just, just open them wide, because strife and contention, and in, it brings every possible evil you can imagine. And that's why it is so important, and that's why I believe it's on the heart of God that we would just simply focus on this and focus on what we have trying to preserve what we've got, what God has given and what he's... But then also recognizing, you know, there's a pothole down the road. You know, if you told me, you said, Stanley, I want to go to Albion River Campground. I'd say, okay. Not a problem at all. Except when you go down the road, it's going to be very narrow. There's not going to be room for two cars. There's going to be a severe right-hand turn. And in that right-hand turn, there's going to be a hump. And if you don't swing that right-hand turn around, you're going to tear the bottom of your RV off. So, you know, that's good advice. <clears throat> Ask me how I know. <laughs> it's the same thing that I'm trying to do here, as I'm trying to say, people, we're, we're going someplace. God is doing something good. Okay, we got something going on. And I'm telling you, if we can avoid some of the bumps down the road, we won't tear the bottom out of this place, okay? There's some attitudes that we can, we can develop as we look at how, and I'll 
go through this. Turn with me to Philippians 2. Because really, as, as we say, well, okay, I want to be one. How do I do that? Do I just, is it just hugs and kisses all around? I mean, is it big, you know, I mean, what does that mean to be one in a spiritual sense? Turn with me to Philippians. Philippians. I'm old school. I don't know about iPads and, 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 and mail and, 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 you know, <laughs> I have to call my staff in to get me online sometimes. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not, uh, I, I'm, I'm um, technically challenged. Is that, is that one way to say it? So find it in your Bible. It's on page... <clears throat> 2,000 actually in this one. But he gives us here, Paul outlines the practical steps of what I'm talking about. And I want to make a few of those comments. There's actually at least 10, each one of which is probably worth an hour or two, and I won't do that to you. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one mind and one accord. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. First thing he says is look at One mindset. Doesn't mean one mind like we're all, you know, automatons or, or robots, but one central mindset. I can tell you one of the first mindsets that, that attracted me to this church, and that was a mindset that said, if you want to take your next step in Christ, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what sex you are, it doesn't matter what color, it doesn't none of that matters here. All that matters is do you want to take your next step in Christ? Now, that's a mindset worth keeping. That's a mindset worth protecting. You know, we have a whole thing going on, and, and I thought, well, I get it in the world, you know, out there in Virginia. Those people are all crazy. They, they don't really know anything. They don't. But yesterday, or this, I think it was yesterday, my brother was talking to me about they're having trouble in his church because people of color are beginning to come. And people who aren't of color are beginning to resent it. And, and I'm sitting here going, well, what book do you guys read, man? I mean, what do you, do? you know, okay. What God has done here is special. It's not common. It should be common. It's biblically important. It shouldn't matter whether you spent seven years in seminary or whether you're a plumber, okay? It shouldn't matter what color your skin is or whether, I guess it shouldn't even matter if you vote Republican. But <clears throat> I'm, I'm messing with you, please, I, I am. But really, at this point, it doesn't hear. And I was so in love with that. I just, I, you know, Carolee and I are pretty, 
We're pretty, our family's very definitely like a Heinz 57, sort of, you know, if maybe I dated myself. They used to say that Heinz ketchup was made of 57 varieties of tomato. The truth is it was made from everything that was left over after all the picking went on. So, you know, a dog who was a mutt was a Heinz 57, you know, and that's kind of my family. I've got six grandchildren that are African-American and, and two that are Mexican-American and, and, and three that are Polacks and, you know, and some that are Ukraine. I mean, I was like, this whole family of mine is Heinz 50. That's all we are. We're just Americans. And the church should be that way, too. The Bible says there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond or free. And that's something that he's done here. We want to preserve that. We want to hold on to that. We want to hold fast to the things that are good. And the way we can do that is we can have the same love. If you love Jesus and I love Jesus, then we can work everything else out. Okay? If you love Jesus and I love Jesus, we can figure the rest out. We don't have to have one mind about theology. We don't have to have one mind about this. We don't have to have one mind. We have to have one mind about something. And that something is a someone, one mind. We love the Lord. We want to honor him. We want to glorify him. The next thing he says is, I'd like you to be of one accord. He says of one mind again. The problem is in the original, a lot of these times he changes words and they, they translate it again. This more is like a symphony. I want you to be like a symphony. Have you ever, have you ever, is this, I don't know if maybe this is most of your background. When I was a kid coming up, I played in, in an orchestra, symphony orchestra. And everybody came in and everybody was given their parts, their chairs, their whatever. I played third chair to start with, you know, and you work your way up the chain, of you know, up third chair. And then pretty soon you get to play second chair. And then, but, you know, third chairs don't play second chair music. Third chairs play third chair music. You've got your score. You've got your thing. And he's saying, come together like an orchestra so that from the outside they see one sound. But inside, there's all these parts being played. Every part is being played, okay? Every part. You know, nobody gets saved here on Sunday if the door's broken. Nobody gets a comfortable seat if the children aren't watched. Nobody has... You know, if the bathrooms are dirty, that, that's all part and parcel. That's our symphony. That's what we do. We come together and we partner as people of the church for one purpose. So that somebody can find Christ. So that somebody can get saved. If we all play our parts, we're not at cross purposes. We're not trying to, you know, put the next guy over so I can play Second chair, because I'm better than they are anyway. <clears throat> and that's the very next thing that he says, is don't do stuff for your own ego. He says, don't do stuff for your own. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Why bother with that? Don't do stuff. The, the, there's an interesting thing here of, of uh, it says strife, but it's not really strife. The word here used in the original is, is, is not used very often. I, I think this is maybe the only time. There might be one other time in the New Testament where it's used. And what it means is don't be like a politician who moves into a district so that he, he can establish that he lives there. 
so that he can now get you to vote for him, so he can be the district representative in some way, shape, or form of that. So don't scheme like that. Don't be a scheming politician, is really what he's saying here. Don't strive to try and figure it all out and how, well, I want to get that guy's job because, you know, I mean, I don't want to play third chair. I want to play first chair. Uh, take the conductor out to dinner. That's what I'll do. <laughs> you know, I'll figure it out. Don't do that stuff. Don't do stuff to prove you're right. That's really what this whole idea of strife and vainglory, there's a whole lot of times when somebody says, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'm right. I'm going to show you. Don't do that. Don't do that. So why not? I mean, what if I am right? Jesus said wisdom is proven of her children. Now, it'll take a little longer if you're right, but it'll be a lot more peaceful if you'll just wait and be right. I worked for a fellow one time, and uh, I would come to him periodically, and I would say, you know, this, this client is really not the kind of client that we should take on. This client is going to be incredibly problematic. And he told me, he said, you know what? I can handle it. I'm good. I got it to get. Don't worry about it. You just, you just take on every client that'll come our way. And I said, okay, yes, sir. I'm your guy. And, um, and I, what I, but I would keep doing that. I period, I said, you know, this client's going to be a real, this time. And about a year later, he came to me and said, you know what? From now on, every time you have one of this, this client things, would you just, we, we won't do business with them. We don't have to do business with that. If you got, if you got one of those this client, you know. Now, I could have made a big deal out of it the first or second or third or fourth time. Wisdom is proven over children. As we come together, let's not strive. Let's not try to figure out how we're going to get our way or how we're going to do one project or another to, to bring ourselves out into some kind of popularity. Let's not do that. He said, let each, in lowliness, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look now out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Unity, love, opens doors. Opens doors. The other closes them all. Hey, I want you to know that I am the head janitor here. And I am not giving up my mop for nothing. Okay? No. Unity says, here, this is how you mop. Let me show you. Here, this is how you do it. Why don't you do it with me? Why don't you show me how? What do you want to do? What's your next step in God? Can I help? That's the attitude that we want to foster. That's the attitude that we want to bless. That's the thing that we want to do. Unity helps others succeed. I once heard it said that a true father in Christ takes more delight in the victories of his children than he does in his own. And I know in my own heart as a dad, I have children that are adult children now, and some of the best things that I have ever done and the things that have brought me the closest to my sons especially was when I gave them the opportunity to succeed. 
the biggest fish that was ever caught on one of my, on any of my boats. Line went off, we were out fishing for salmon in the ocean. I, I get in there and I'm, okay, I like to fish. Okay, this is, this is, this is not, fishing is not just, a, fishing is fishing, I, this is a big deal, okay? And I'm, re and, I, and I think, oh, that is a huge fish. Son, I think this is too big for me. I think you better handle it. We will remember that fish until the day both of us die. Now, I could have reeled that thing in. But now, in hindsight, I wouldn't have reeled that thing in for anything. Because that's a memory that my son and I share. And we laugh about that. And that's what I'm talking about. Looking for who you can share, whatever God has given you. What can you share? What can you give away? Do you know how to pray for the sick? Teach somebody how to pray for the sick. You want to learn how to pray for the sick? Come talk to some people. Over. There's some good people. In I mean, what is it you want to do? What's your next step? Help them. If you're in leadership, help them. Help them. Especially those of us that are older, you know? Hey. We're not going to be around that much longer. I remember being a little kid sitting in church. And now I'm Social Security eligible. And, you know, it's just like, it's like look it. It's time to give it away. It's time to give it away. Whatever you've got, it's time to give it away. If you don't have anything and you want something, find somebody that does. Give it away. Humility, looking at others as if their thing is more important than your thing. You know, that's so easy, though. You go, you, well, I want the table for resources to be there. Yeah, but we can't have that because that's where our connect booth is going to be. Well, I want it to be over there. Well, I want it to. You see what I'm saying? Now, you know that's how people are, and we're people. Okay? Don't do that. Don't do that. Would you like your connect? Oh, well, you're going to have your connect booth there? Not if you'd like to have the resource booth there. Whole different, whole different attitude. Whole different attitude. Because none of us are going to get to have our own same pew and our own same seat and our own, I mean, I remember one time I was sitting in church. My father was a pastor. And I used to put my foot up irreverently against the little place where they hold the communion cups. And uh, I had worn that down. I mean, there was, a, there, was a, there was a, like you take a sandpaper to the wood, I had worn that off. And I remember coming to church one time, somebody sat in my seat. They sat in, they, that's my seat. I wore that thing down. I mean, you, I've, I've, I've got time invested in that place, man. I mean, you know, when you're a church kid, boy. You don't get to stay home. I mean, I used to beg, oh, could I please? Oh, I'm sick. I got a belly. Every, every time the, the Wizard of Oz was on, I was, it was always on Walt Disney Sunday night. We had Sunday night church. We were not going. Mm, not in my house. Not in my house. You are not staying home and watching the Wizard. You are going to church. But I got a belly. No. I had time in that seat. God brought a visitor to put in my seat. And I still remember it, how 
crazy I was about that. We do that stuff. The enemy gets us with that stuff. Man, he, you know, he's been dividing and conquering for as long as there have been people. We got to watch this stuff. You know, when somebody just rubs you the wrong way, real, you got to say, now, wait a minute. Why am I being rubbed? Is there somebody else involved in this? You know, not every thought that comes into your brain originated with you. There are times when thoughts come into our mind and into our brain that are from the enemy. We need to recognize that. If my brother's church would do that, they'd be a lot better off. A whole lot better off. So help others succeed. And the last part that we should probably talk about is, it said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. In the kingdom of God, servant, as he's talking about here, is talking about coming under authority. You know, authority in the kingdom of God and submitting to authority in the kingdom of God isn't like, I'm the boss. It's a voluntary, willful act by an equal Jesus was equal. He was God. And yet he submitted himself to the will of the Father for the purpose of redemption. In our case, as we, we're equal. We're just as much saved. We're just as much filled with the Holy Ghost. We're just as much whatever as the staff. But you know what? God put them in charge. God put them there. So as an equal, we come under the authority. And we receive guidance so that the ship or the bus or whatever you want to say moves along a direction. You know, if you're fighting, if you get in a car and you say, well, I want to go to the East Coast, and one of you says, well, let's go north, another one says, let's go south, another one says, you're not getting to the East Coast. It doesn't work that way. Somebody's got to decide where we're going. Somebody's got to say, are we going Route 66? I mean, how are we doing this? Where are we doing that? And so he gives us a picture here of Jesus and his submission to the Father. He says, be like that with one another. Be like that with your leadership. It's not, it's not an unequal thing. It's not a you're less than, you're not as good as, you don't have as whatever. It's not about that. It's a voluntary assumption of a role by an equal. Okay? I purposefully come under God's authority, not because they're infinitely wiser, better, whatever, but because he put them here. He put them here. You know? God did it. I didn't do it. He did it. So we look for that anointing. We look for that person. We look for what he's saying, and we come under that. We take on that same heart of a servant. 
and we preserve unity. I'm convinced, as I close, God wants to do something very good here. God wants to do something off the charts. I've been in this community, I've, both in ministry and out of ministry, I have been in this community for a long time. It's a hard community. It's a difficult community. But it's a community with a promise from God. It's a community where some people have been laboring in prayer for decades that God would do something. Literally for decades. God, we're here. God, we're there. If you start studying the history of the church in Santa Rosa, you will find that God on, on several occasions has done some remarkable things that have been overturned. And we have an opportunity to see God do something to restore, to rebuild. I remember one of my friends who's gone on to be with the Lord said, you know, Santa Rosa is going to be healed someday when God sends a man with a vision who doesn't give a rip about its past, who doesn't care about what happened when, but he's got a vision for the future. Amen. I know somebody like that. I know somebody like that. When I met him, he had my heart. It's like, dude, whatever you need, I'll give, it any, I'll give you anything I got. Because you want to get something done for God, I'm your guy. I'm, want me to empty trash can? I'll empty, I don't care what I do. I'll do anything. Just let me be a part of that. And I think if we'll all pay attention to the word of God, we'll be on our guard against what might come in the near future, in the far future. We can see a work that is built for God, that when we die, we can say, I was part of that. I did, I was there. I was there. I saw that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor David.